invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. We're continuing our series through the first uh, half of 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This morning the choir sang about it. We sung about it a little bit, talking about the importance of a solid foundation. We want to look at the solid foundation that we have in our faith. And so let me pray as we get started. Father, I thank you uh, for today. Lord, I thank you for the moms that are, are watching and worshiping online. We thank you for the many mothers that are in this room. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, the ladies that may not have biological children of their own, but are still such great spiritual mothers to so many uh, children and students within the life of this church. We want to honor them as well today. Uh, and Father, I just thank you for the way you love us and the way you care for us and God, I pray that as, as we have worshipped you through song, uh, that now we worship you through the word, that we recognize this is the very word of God. Uh, Father, that we want to honor you in the way that we treat your word, we come to your word, we hear your word. Uh, Father, we believe in it and we live it. And so we ask for the Holy Spirit's help in that. And Lord, we just pray that all that we say and do will bring honor and glory to your name in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I have a picture of the Great Wall of, of China up there on the screen for you. Uh, the Great Wall of China is one of the most recognizable structures in really all of the world, and it's impressive to look at in pictures. It's impressive to be uh, there in person. You know, the Great Wall uh, was built over 2,000 years ago, and it runs over 4,000 miles long. At its height, at its peak, it's estimated there was one million soldiers that were stretched along the Great Wall uh, there to prevent enemies from coming in and attacking into mainland China. And the Great Wall is still there and stands now where it is because of the foundation in which it was laid. You know, Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, said, I'm going to make a building project of my own. And Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, says, I'm going to build my church. And when he said, I'm building my church, he's not talking about an organization. He's not talking about a building. But when he says, I'm going to build my church, he's talking about you. He's talking about people. I'm going to build my people. And that is a building project that's still going on today, that Jesus is still building his people. He's still building his church. In this section in the letter to the church of Corinth, Paul is writing about a building project. And he's showing you something uh, that's very, very important to every single one of us this morning. So whether you are in this room, whether you are worshiping at home, this is important that Paul's going to go over. And it's this key principle, who and what you build your life on matters. Who and what you build your life on, it matters. See, Paul's going to use three metaphors in this section. He's going to talk about a family, a field, and then a building. And he's going to show you this, that at the end of the day, all of us will stand before God. You will give an account to the life in which you have lived. So who and what you build your life on matters. And so let's pick up in verse 1 as we see the problem of not growing up. He's going to start us with this metaphor of a family and show you the problem of not growing up. Pick up in verse 1. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, 
But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Verse 4, he says, when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Notice in verse 1 that Paul, as he's addressing the church, he says that many of you are infants in Christ. And what he's pointing to there is their spiritual immaturity. He says, you're not growing up in your maturity, in your faith in Jesus. You are still spiritually infants. And we have to understand, and many of you have been around long enough to understand this principle, so it's good to remind you Uh, is this. Your age does not mature you spiritually. Your age does not mature you spiritually. You can be a believer in Jesus Christ for over 50 years and still be a spiritual infant. And Paul's showing you there's a problem if you're not growing up in the faith. And notice why they're not growing. Notice why they're still infants because of verse 3. You're still in the flesh while there is jealousy and strife among you. He started back in chapter 1 and verse 11 pointing out that there was divisions among them, that within this church there was strife, there was jealousy, there was fighting. And what we said back in chapter 1 is the same thing he points out here in chapter 3, that there were cliques, there were groups, there was divisions. And he says that there in verse 4, where he says that there are some of you that say, I follow Paul. Some of you say, I follow Apollos. And what they've done is they've divided off and they've kind of broken up into groups, into factions, into cliques within the church. Why do those problems happen within a local congregation? Why do those problems happen within a church where there's sometimes jealousy or fighting among the people? Well, one, it happens because the people aren't growing in maturity. But second, it happens because sometimes pride comes in, and the more pride is elevated, the more division happens, the more strife happens. So think about it this way. There's one group that might say, we're the most important group in the church. Our group ties the most. I've heard it said this way in the life of churches sometimes. You need to pay attention to us because we pay the bills around here. You know, there may be another group that says we're the most important group in the church. We have the most people within our ministry. We're the most important people in the church. We've been here the longest. And what happens is when that happens within groups and pride enters in, you start elevating yourselves over others. And what's that showing is simply this. There's immaturity still there. They are still being spiritually infants, as Paul says in verse 1. But notice also in verse 4, Paul's saying, are you not being merely human? Or the NIV says it this way, are you not being mere human beings? And so what Paul's getting at is simply this. When that happens and you begin to elevate yourself over someone else in a local church or when your group thinks, well, my group's more important than this group, and you're really acting not like believers in Jesus. You're acting like non-Christians. You're acting like the world would act in that sense. And that's what he's getting at in that verse 4. He says you're, you're not doing 
what Christ is calling you to do. Because what did Christ teach us in the Gospels? Give up the best seat for someone else. Serve someone. That people are going to know you not by your fighting, but by your love. What makes the message of Jesus attractive? What gives validity to the words we share? It's the way we treat each other. It's the way we love one another. It's the way one group says, hey, maybe my group needs to sacrifice for this group. Maybe I need to serve this person. Maybe I need to do this in order for the church to progress along. So in your life, think about it this way. Who and what you build your life on, it matters. So how do you measure maturity? How when you look in verse 1 and it says you're being a spiritually infant, can you look in your own life and say, well, is that me? Am I still being a spiritual infant at the age of 65 or 70 or 40 or 50? Who, uh, how, how do you measure that? Well, some would say it this way. Well, I measure my maturity because I read the Bible or I pray or I attend church. Have you met somebody like that before? They, they kind of boast about how much Bible reading they do. Oh, I read the Bible every year. Or I've cleared the Bible in my lifetime 15 times. Have you met that person? I've met them. And then sometimes I'm like, wait a minute. You read the Bible? Like, you, you, you read it through like twice already this year? You sure? <laughs> like, what, what, what part did you skip? <laughs> I mean, why? Because maybe they're doing the activities but they're not living what they're doing. See, maturity in Bible reading and prayer and church attendance, that's not a measurement of maturity. That's a tool to help maturity happen. How do you measure maturity as a believer in Jesus Christ? It's how you treat people. It's how you love your neighbor. It's how you give. It's how you sacrifice. It's what you do. So you can read the Bible all day long. You can pray all day long. You can sit here through long sermons, even when I cut three minutes off, and still be a spiritual infant. There's problems in not growing up. Paul says it's important because who and what you build your life on matters. Now, he changes metaphors from verses 4 to 5, and he moves us from a family out into the field. And let's pick up in verse 5. He shows us in verse 5 how growth happens. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants from whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Notice verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he whose waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Notice in verses 5 through 9, he's showing you how personal growth happens in your life, how church growth happens, how kingdom growth happens. And as this church is dividing off and saying, well, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, we don't see within the text that the leaders are causing those divisions, but we see the people are causing that. But notice what Paul says in verse 5. He says, who, who am I? I mean, really, at the end of the day, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're servants. We're, we're, as I said last week, we're beggars telling another beggar where we found bread. That's who we are. 
And so we are as believers in Jesus Christ. We say, look, we once were blind, but, but now we see. We once were lost, but now we're found. We're just mere servants. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says. We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we're asking you to be reconciled to the Lord. That's who we are. But notice how this formula works of growth. Verse 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so Paul's saying this, look, I started this church. Apollos came after me. He's adding on to what I've done. He's kind of the next pastor up, and God gives the growth. Think about it in your own personal life. You plant the word of God in your life. You continue to pray. You continue to obey it. God gives the growth. Think about it this way. If we want to reach people for Jesus and church growth, we want to see new people saved, we have to plant the gospel. That would be evangelism. We have to water the gospel. That would be follow-up. That would be discipleship. And who gives the growth? God. It's a very easy farming illustration to understand, isn't it? Because what do many of you do? You garden. You know if you want tomatoes this summer, what do you have to do? You have to plant them. And you don't have to do more than just plant them. You have to water the things. You have to maintain it. You have to help it. But at the end of the day, can you make the tomatoes grow? No. You can go out and try to make it grow as much as you can, but you can't make it grow. God makes it grow. So think of it this way. Planting's evangelism, watering's discipleship, God gives the growth. But here's where many churches make the mistake. We want a harvest. We want to see people come to know Christ left and right. But you're not going to get the growth if there's no seed for God to grow. And so in the life cycles of churches, you go through this. There are seasons where we have to plant, and we have to plant, and plant, and water, and water. And there are times where growth happens. But you can't always have growth without doing the work of planting and watering. And so Paul says, in that way that works, and God moves it through, we're planting, we're watering, we're seeing growth, because maturing is, should be happening. Notice verse 7, neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, because God gives the growth. So that points us back up to chapter 1 and verse 31. In that connection there, let the one who boasts, Boast in the Lord? Isn't that where our boast is? Our boast isn't in us. We're just the ones who put the seed in the ground. We're just the ones who put the water on top of the seed. It's God who made the growth. It's God who brought the change. So we boast in the Lord. We don't boast in ourselves. We boast in who Jesus is. So this morning, who are you planting the gospel in? Who are you following up with? Who are you praying for today to say, God, I want to see gospel growth in this person. That will happen when you do the work that God is calling you to do. And I love verse 8. I don't want you to miss verse 8 because it's a, it's a really neat verse. He who plants and he who waters are one. I love the way the NIV says it. It says he who plants and he who waters have one purpose. What's that purpose? That purpose goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
That's our purpose as a believers in Jesus Christ. So who and what you build your life on, it matters. Now let's move from the family to the field to a construction site. Because Paul finally ends up in this section showing us the importance of building rightly. Building on a right foundation. Pick up with me in verse 9. He says, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I've laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, he says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. But notice verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul shows you here the importance of a right foundation in building because who and what you build your life on it matters he says there in verse 9 we are God's building and he's saying verse 10 I'm like a skilled master builder I've laid a foundation now don't take Paul as being arrogant there what he's using in that term when he says I'm a skilled master builder is essentially this in this metaphor I'm a project manager that's all who I am. In this construction site he has brought us to, I'm just the project manager. And he said, as the one who has founded this church, I've laid a foundation. I've started the church out. And he said, here's the foundation in which I've laid. It's verse 11. I've laid the foundation. I've taught you that the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. It's who Jesus is, and it's who, what Jesus has done for us. He, so he says there in verse 11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus, that we keep the gospel central in all that we do, that Christ here on earth was fully God, fully man, died on the cross for our sin, taking our place, taking our, our punishment for us, he was put in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again. And now the good news of the gospel is only good if you receive that and say, I'm placing my faith, my trust in this Jesus. That's the foundation that we have as a church that Paul is saying, I'm laying. And now as we're building upon that foundation, we want to make sure we have right building materials. So think in your life this morning, what is the foundation for your life? What foundation have you laid in your life? Is it the foundation of the person and work of Jesus? Or have you laid a different foundation? Have you put another foundation of here's how I'm going to get to God? For some people, they'll lay a foundation of good morals. I'm just going to be a good moral person. I'm going to do as, as much good as I can. I, I call that foundation this. It's the stay ahead of the other guy. As long as I stay ahead of the other guy, morally, I'm okay with God. As long as I'm not as bad as the people I see on the news or I read on Twitter or talk of Alvin on Facebook, 
I'm okay with God. I'm just going to stay ahead of the other guy. But then there's also the foundation that people will lay where they'll say this, I'm going to be a people pleaser. And I'm going to try to please as many people I can please. And I'm going to do as much as I can to win God's approval. I call this foundation the daddy syndrome. I'm just going to do all that I can possibly do to please daddy. And I don't know this morning who needs to hear this, but let me just say it this way. As a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, your heavenly father is pleased with you. Because a lot of us can carry that over in our Christianity. That maybe you did not get the approval of an earthly father. And you're sitting there today. You have a right foundation. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. But you're still trying to work for the approval of your heavenly father. Understand this. That in Christ Jesus, your heavenly father loves you. He approves of you. He cares for you. That's why we entitled this series, A Beautiful Mess. Because as believers in Jesus Christ, God sees you right now positionally like he sees his son, Jesus, perfect. He sees you through his son's righteousness. You're perfect. You are beautiful in God's eyes right now. Even though on a practical level, as believers in Jesus, we know we are still a mess. We deal with lust issues, pride issues, jealousy issues, anger issues, all those other issues. You don't have to win the approval of your heavenly father today if the foundation of your life is in Christ Jesus. So maybe you've got the right foundation, but are you using the right building materials? Because Paul says this in verse 12. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood or hay or straw, each work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. So when he's speaking about the day, that's the return of Christ, the day in which we will stand before Jesus and our works will be exposed as believers. It'll be tested by fire, if you will. And now he's showing you that the precious stones, the precious building materials, the, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, that's going to survive. Think of it this way. That's what they used to build the temple. The wood, hay, straw, that's what they would use to build common everyday homes. That's not going to survive. That will be burned up. So how do you know as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've got the right foundation, all right, I believe in Jesus, got a good foundation there. But if my building materials are right, if I'm building my Christian life correctly, because who and what you build your life on, it matters. So how do you know the difference? Well, I think of it this way. The precious stones, the, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, that's things you will do as a believer in Jesus Christ with right actions, right motives, in the right name. All right, so, so that's going to be right things, right motives, right name. So maybe you are taking care of an aging parent. You're serving in a ministry. You're helping a neighbor out. That's precious building materials if it's done as a right thing, in right motivation, in the right name. Now, the wood, hay, straw, that can be right things, wrong motivation, and still in the right name. 
See, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you can do good things, right things that God calls you to do, but you have the wrong motivation. Maybe that's to serve in a ministry just to be noticed. Maybe that's to say, you know, I want to be an important person, so I'm going to take this on. So it's a good thing you're serving in a ministry. You have the wrong motivation, but you're still doing it in the name of Jesus. That would be wood, hay, straw. And so he's asking you and telling you essentially this, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. How this morning are you building in your Christian life? Is it right things, right motivation, right name? Or is it right things, wrong motivation, right name? And, and Jesus says, listen, all that's going to be exposed. And this morning, maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to be a building inspector in your life to show you what you are building on with your construction materials. Because we've noticed verses 13 through 15, as we said, the day is coming where Jesus is going to expose all of that within us. We stand before him. Notice verses 14, 15, the work that anyone's built on the foundation survives. He'll receive a reward. If anyone's works burned up, he'll suffer loss, though himself will be saved, but only through fire. Understand this, that when that judgment happens as believers in Jesus Christ, it's not a judgment of salvation. All right, that, that's the finished work of Christ. When you place your faith, your trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone for your salvation, there's no judgment for that anymore. Christ is forgiving your past, your present, and your future sins. So what you have in Jesus now, you do not lose. All right? If you have been born again, there's no way to be unborn. Romans 8 says there's nothing that separates you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what this is saying is not a judgment of salvation. What this is looking at is a rewards type thing. That where your life will be exposed, all the things you've done as a believer will be exposed. How you built your life as a believer on the foundation of Jesus will be put under microscope. And then it's a matter of rewards. And so Paul's saying this, there's essentially some of you that will receive more rewards than others when it comes to being in heaven. And so how do we process that? Because that can kind of be a little tricky to me. I don't know about you. So that, that, that may mean this. There's some of you that may have more rewards in heaven than I do. There may be some that I have more rewards than you do. So does that mean in heaven um, we're sad? If someone else's house is a little bigger than our house? Are you going to sit there in heaven and go, man, you know, there's, there's Steve, and he lives on that side of the railroad tracks, and I live on this side of the railroad tracks, and I really wish I lived over there with Steve. I mean, is, is that what it's getting at? Because, again, it's not, a, it's not a judgment based on salvation, right? It's a judgment based on rewards, the, the amount of rewards that you have in heaven. So how do we... How do we feel about that? How do we process that? I love the way Jonathan Edwards, an old Puritan pastor, once said, and I think this will help us. He said, Christ, by his righteousness, purchased for everyone's perfect happiness. Christ, by his righteousness, purchased for everyone perfect happiness. So what Edwards is getting at is this, that even though in heaven, somebody's house may be a little bigger than your house, 
guess what? You still got a great house. Even though you may live on the side of the tracks that that person lives on the other side of the tracks, guess what? Both sides of the tracks are great. Why? Because you're in the presence of God. You're in the presence of God. You're in the presence where, where the Bible says we don't need a sun or a moon because God's our light. We don't need gates and security systems and alarm systems. Why? Because God's our protection. You're in a place where there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's complete and eternal forever joy because we are perfectly in God's presence. And so right now that means this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we're not working for the reward. What we're working for is that day where we stand before the Lord and we just want to please him. We want to honor him. We want to build our lives on the right foundation in the right way because we're going to be put under a moment of examination. And so who and what you build your life on, it matters. You know, I've um, had the privilege of living on the East Coast most of my life, um, you know, uh, in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, of, of going to Washington, D.C. several times. I've probably been to Washington, D.C. over 25 times in my life easily. And if you've never been, you know, once they open everything back up, you got to go. All right? you, you really got to go. And one of my favorite spots to look at, it's not hard to uh, miss, is the Washington Monument. And love to see the Washington Monument. And the Washington Monument is really neat because it stands 500 feet, 555 feet tall, but that's not the actual original design of the Washington Monument. See, Washington Monument was designed to be 600 feet tall. It was going to have a flat roof, and then it was going to have a statue of George Washington riding a horse on top of the monument. But the problem was that as they built the monument and they continued to go higher and higher and higher, the builders noticed cracks within the foundation. See, they didn't lay a good foundation for the building. And the more weight they put on the foundation, it began to crack. And they quickly realized, if we keep going up the way that we're going up, then it's, this thing's going to fall. So for 20 years, it was abandoned until the Army Corps of Engineers finally figured out, if we put a pyramid on top of this thing, it'll work. <laughs> and so that's why it looks the way it does now. It didn't have a proper foundation. Who and what you build your life on, it matters. The choir sang a little bit of it earlier. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells a story. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about a foundation. He said there are some that will build a house on a foundation of sand. There's some that will build a, a house on a foundation of rock. And within the story, he says that a storm's coming. And when that storm comes, those, those that have built the house on the sand, it's going to fall, it's going to collapse. Those that have built their house on the rock, it's going to stand the storm. It's going to still be there. And what Jesus is getting at in that parable is simply this. He's the storm. He's coming. Judgment day is coming. And you have to examine your life in which foundation you have built it on. If you've built it on anything else but Jesus by faith and who he is and what he's done for you, you won't stand. You'll collapse. The Bible said that when you die, you will be in the lake of fire for all of eternity because you built an improper foundation. You tried to get to God based on good morals, on people-pleasing, on rule-keeping, and you ignore Jesus. But if you build that foundation upon Christ and who he is and his finished work, when that day comes and that storm comes, you're saved. You're in heaven for all of eternity. And so this morning, let me say it this way, non-Christian, 
Maybe today you need to abandon the building project in your life of trying to build your life to God on good morals. And you need to come to Christ. Maybe today for a Christian, you've got the foundation laid. You're a believer in Jesus. But what building materials are you using? Are you building your Christian life with the precious stones of silver and gold and precious stones? Remember, that's doing right things with right motivation and right name. Or Christians, are you building it right now on wood, straw, and hay? Right things, wrong motivation, still right name. So maybe Christian today, you need to say, Holy Spirit, be my building inspector. Come and inspect my foundation. Are there cracks there? Or do, do I really trust in Christ for my salvation? Holy Spirit, will you show me if I'm using the right building materials in my life? Am I doing right things with right motivation and the right name? Or, or maybe am I doing right things with wrong motivation? Would you show me that, Holy Spirit? Because who and what you build your life on, it matters. I'm going to invite you.